Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard very precious. And she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence, and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. And she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Good morning and welcome again to our worship. We're grateful for your presence. To those of you who are visiting, as always, we do want you to come back. We feel honored that you have chosen to come and be with us today. It is our prayer that our time spent together will be profitable and encouraging to you. I want to remind you that we do have a fellowship meal immediately following our worship today. And we're going to be beginning our focus groups, and I know that you'll want to be a part of that. We want to encourage you to stay and to join hands together with us as we strive to be what the Lord would have us to be in this community. We're going to be looking at the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. I want us to think for just a few moments today about the theme, Giving Our Best. I really believe that it is important for us as God's people to strive to give our best each and every day. I think about students in the classroom, and one of the things that teachers hope to inspire within those who are trying to learn is that they would give their best on the athletic field. Coaches strive to encourage their team to give their best. Those of us that are members of the church, we need to be encouraged to give our best. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. The first thing I want us to do is to examine the text. We're going to make an examination of the text, and then it will be our goal to provide application from the text. By way of evaluation, let me just suggest that as we begin looking at verse 3, the first thing that we're called attention to is the place. The Bible says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Now, Bethany, geographically speaking, was located just a few miles southeast of the city of Jerusalem. And we read about the significance of the city of Jerusalem, and certainly Bethany was a very historic city itself. But note, if you would, what Mark says concerning the events that begin to unfold at this household or in this place. As he sat at the table, a woman 
came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And she broke the flask, the flask and poured it on his head. Now there is a companion text that you might want to look to to amplify what we're talking about in Mark 14. It's found in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And it is here that we find that this woman that is spoken of by Mark was Mary. And some of the people that were present on this occasion, according to John, were Lazarus. Now, you recall in chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, had died. He had some type of illness. Jesus raised him from the dead. And so he is present on this occasion, along with his sisters, Martha and Mary. Mary, however, is serving on this occasion. Some of the other individuals present, Simon the leper, and then also we think about Judas Iscariot because he is the one that's going to raise protest against what this woman had done. But note if you would, the text says that she broke this flask and poured some very costly perfume on Jesus. Now John tells us that she applied this perfume to his feet. And then she took her hair and began to wipe the feet of Jesus. Verse 4 tells us that a protest was raised against the actions of Mary. Note if you would, verse 4, But there were some who were indignant among themselves, and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. Now John tells us Judas Iscariot was the one that raised this protest against what Mary had done. And of course it seems on the surface that he was concerned about the poor. But John said, this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And not only a thief, but he was the one that was bearing the treasury of the disciples of Jesus. But now we look at verse 6. Because in spite of the criticism leveled against the actions of Mary, we now come to the praise rendered unto her by Jesus. Verse 6, Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do to them good. But me, you do not always have. Verse 8. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And then verse 9. We have the prophecy. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of as a memorial to her. Now, what's the application? What are some lessons that you and I can glean as a result of reading this text? I believe 
that there are some things that we need to be encouraged to consider. First of all, let me call to mind her labor. Note again verse 6. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a good work. I would submit to you this morning that God's work is a good work. Now there are a lot of works that we talk about in this life. There are secular works. And there are some very noble fields of endeavor. But we're not talking about secular work. But rather we're talking about the realm of the spiritual. In particular, the work of Jehovah God. Secular work is fine and good. But God's work is preeminent. Not only is God's work preeminent, but God's work is a good work. Why is God's work a good work? I believe, number one, because of our place. That is, because of our position in the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who, go, who goes out early in the morning and hires laborers for his vineyard. Did you know that as a child of God, you are a laborer in the vineyard of God? We talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. In order for there to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. And we serve King Jesus. He is the Lord of our lives. In other words, you and I, we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he has blessed us with a great position in his kingdom. Now the Bible tells us, that we have been created in Christ Jesus under good works. I said God's work is a good work because of our position, because of our place in the kingdom, and also because of our purpose. Again, going back to the figure in Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a landowner who goes out early in the morning and hires laborers for his vineyard. Did you know that you and I have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works? In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, the purpose of our good works is not to bring honor and glory to our name, but rather we do so to exalt the name of Jehovah God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. We bring honor and glory to God through our efforts in the kingdom of God. Our acts of service are intended to glorify, to exalt the name of God. 
And so that's one of the reasons why God's work is a good work. We think not just of her labor, but also her love. Note again verse 6 in Mark 14. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work. Now note what he says. She has done a good work for whom? For me. How do you view the work of the Lord? Let me ask this question. How do you view the work of the church? Now Jesus compared the church in Matthew chapter 20 to a vineyard. We know that the church is spoken of as the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. There are numerous terms used to designate the church of our Lord. How do you view the work of the church? Could I suggest to you that we view the work of the church as a blessing and not as a burden? Sometimes we tend to view the work of the church negatively or pessimistically. How many of us from time to time think about the work of the church? And rather than thinking about what a blessing and what a joy it is to work and to labor for the King of kings and Lord of lords, we think about the great burden we're bearing. We tend to view things that way. Sometimes we tend to view the work of the church in terms of what we have to do instead of what we can do. Now think again. God's work is a blessing. It's not a burden. It should be something that we relish doing. In Hebrews chapter 6 at verse 10, the Bible says God is not unrighteous or unjust to forget your work and labor of love. Is the work of the church a labor of love? Let me tell you this. If you view the work of the church as a burden, it's not going to be a labor of love. It's not going to be something that you're excited about doing. But if the work of the church is a labor of love, then it's going to serve as a catalyst, inspiring you to greater heights of service. There's going to be that internal desire to serve the Lord. Note again the words of Jesus. Jesus said, she has done a good work for whom? For me. Now today, we're going to begin our focus groups. Today's actually the day in which we're going to kick this off. And we need everybody, every person, whether young or old, to be involved. Now here's, here's a point I want you to... I want you to get. When we talk about our work here at Olive Branch, it's not the work 
of the eldership, when you engage in the work of the church here, you're not working for the elders per se. It's not for me as the preacher. It's not, it's not for anything or anyone, but it is for the Lord. Jesus said, she has done a good work for me. Whatever you do in this program that we are kicking off today, it's not for the eldership, it's not for me, it's not for anyone else, it's for the Lord. And that's what makes it such a great program, because it's for the Lord. Because our desire here is to bring honor and glory to God. And so, it needs to be a labor of love. If each and every one of us view the work here as a labor of love, I'll promise you one thing, we'll fill this building. Not only will we fill this building, but we'll have to knock down walls and add on to this building. But you know what? It's just like an automobile. In order to drive that automobile, you have to have the keys. The keys are in our hands. The question is, are we going to drive? Are we going to move forward? Thirdly, we think about her labor, her love, and then her loyalty. <clears throat> I want to begin this particular point by suggesting to you that God's work is about doing what we can, not what we can't. God's work is about doing what we can, not what we can't. Listen, if you would, to Jesus in verse 8. Jesus said, she has done what she could. Did you hear that? Jesus said, she has done what she could. Now, let me ask you this question. As, as a Christian, as a child of God, as somebody who's been baptized into Christ whose life has been radically changed because you've been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. You have been endowed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians 1.3. As a child of God, as a member of the kingdom, as a servant of the King, have you done what you could? You see, that's what the Lord's asking of you. Will you do what you can? I think sometimes we have the idea that the Lord has unrealistic expectations about our service in the kingdom. That's not the case. Look again at Mary. Here is Mary. She is anointing the feet of Jesus. She's wiping his feet with her hair. She is doing this in anticipation of his death. She is criticized sharply for her actions. And Jesus says, let her alone. She's done a good work for me. 
And then he qualifies that by saying she has done what she could. Now, there may have been a lot of things that Mary could not have done. But you know what she did? She focused on what she could do. Don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. There are a lot of things I cannot do. There are a lot of things that you can do far better than me. And so I can't worry about the things that I'm unable to do. What I have to do is determine what can I do. Now what are we asking you to do? Find your niche. Find your place of service in the kingdom of God. Find something you can do in this congregation and do it with all your might. Do what you can do. Let me add this. When we step back and contemplate the work of the church, it may be the case that, that you have the idea that the expectation is for you to bear the whole load. Listen, the elders of the church here, they're not asking you to do everything. They're not asking you to bear the load alone. That would be unfair. They're not asking you to carry the whole load. You know what they're asking you to do? Do your part. Just do your part. I appreciate the elders of this congregation. I appreciate their leadership. I appreciate their love. I appreciate their desire to see the work of the church here go forward. And in short, the only thing they're asking of you is do what you can do. There are a lot of areas of service. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the day of judgment. And in that context, context, he talks about when he comes with all of his holy angels. He said he will be seated on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him. He will begin to separate the nations as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He'll say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What is Jesus going to say to those on his right hand? I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. What did those people do? To hear those blissful words, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You know what they did? They did what they could do. We need to be at worship every first day of the week. It's very important. Hebrews 10.25 underscores that idea. But if you look at Matthew chapter 25, the thing that strikes me is, here were people that had gone beyond merely worshiping God. In what way? They had moved beyond worship to work, to serve, to serve the Lord. Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my brethren, you did it unto me. What did Jesus say to, to, to Mary in Mark 14? 
Let her alone. She's done a good work. For whom? For me. Our efforts are for the Lord, for his glory. And so on the day of judgment, Jesus is going to turn to those on his right hand, commending them for their service in his kingdom. So I ask you, have you done what you could with your time, with your talents, with your treasures? Paul said that we are stewards. And he said that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. Are you doing what you can do for this congregation, for the Lord, right now? If not, could I serve as a catalyst to encourage you to get involved? We need one another. And what we really need to do is join hands together and to say, we're in this thing for the long haul. We're going to work together. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. And we're going to go to heaven together. But it takes all of us working together. It takes each and every one of us doing what we can. And my encouragement is let us do what we can. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this day. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. We're thankful for this congregation. We're so thankful for each and every member here. We are grateful for the great sacrifices that have been made in days gone by. And Father, we're thankful for the leaders of this church. We're thankful for their wisdom. We're grateful, Holy Father, for the focus program that is before us. And Father, may each of us have the spirit that we're going to do what we can to extend the borders of the kingdom in this community. We ask your richest blessings on our efforts. We pray, Holy Father, that we might be united, that we might be faithful to your word, and that we might do all that we can to bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In closing, let me just ask this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a New Testament Christian? What would you need to do to become a Christian? Nothing more, nothing less. The Bible says you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, verse 24. Except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am there, you cannot come. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, would you be willing to repent of every sin? Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. Would you be willing to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart? Matthew 10, 32, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then would you be willing to be immersed in water, baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. When you do that, the Lord will add you to the church. We won't vote on you to become a member of the church, but the Lord will add you to his body. And thus, if you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, we encourage you to come home. To come back to the Lord, we'll be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?